0: The Going Viral podcast from HealthEd shares the latest information on COVID-19 from authoritative voices and leading experts. You can find all episodes at healthed.com.au or if you're a registered health professional, you can listen on the HealthEd app as well as access many educational resources to support your professional development and practice.
1: Hello and welcome to HealthEd's Going Viral. I am David Lynn. It is Thursday, the 16th of September, 2021. Professor Stephen Duckett covers a range of issues relating to the impending lifting of lockdown restrictions. And amidst a cacophony of opinions and messages, we can become confused. Where can one turn for independent, researched, and robust expert advice? Find out more about AusSAGE. Professor Duckett, tell us about yourself. So I'm Stephen Duckett.
2: I'm the head of the health and Age care program at Grattan Institute here in Melbourne and I'm a health economist and I'm uh, a member of the newly formed AusSAGE
1: group. Stephen, tell me about AusSAGE. What is it and what is the purpose of AusSAGE?
2: It's, uh, it's modeled on a group in the UK called SAGE but basically the public needs a lot of information about COVID and the pandemic and vaccines and so on. And they need the information to come from people who know what they're talking about. Osage is a group of scientists and using that term broadly, including social scientists uh, who have come together uh, without any payment or interest or whatever to formulate clear advice to the public. And interestingly, the the group is very multidisciplinary. It includes people like myself, I'm a health economist, it includes virologists, it includes behavioral scientists, it includes mechanical engineers specializing in ventilation. So it brings together a range of people in a way that even some of the big research institutes can't do. And, Mm -hmm. And the group works in an inclusive way. It tries to develop policy statements which are multidisciplinary that they've been informed by a whole lot of people people first nations people people from uh, all over the country with multi- with different perspectives and they they aim for we aim for a for a consensus and also that what we are saying is absolutely evidence-based mm-hmm. so that the public can trust it
1: Well, Stephen, I'm going to refer to an article in the uh, Sydney Morning Herald, and I'm just going to read a couple of important phrases, and I hope that you can help to expand on it. One, and we're talking about the uh, lifting of restrictions in New South Wales. Now, one of these sentences reads, one person's freedom is another person's going to hospital, and that this plan was developed by business for business. So what does this mean for the average person on the street and how will this plan affect them So so David uh, those are my words and uh, I stick with them
2: and if I just start with the buy business for business when I looked at the announcement the so-called road to freedom uh, in the fourth paragraph it said that the de- the deputy premier was quoted as saying uh, the New South Wales government has worked with industry to design this roadmap. Mm-hmm. And, and then I looked further down the page and it was two pages later, they quoted the health minister and it said, you know, we'll continue to be guided by the health advice. But right up front, it was about opening up. Mm-hmm. And when you when you look at what's actually happening in New South Wales, David, You can see that the health system is overwhelmed at the moment, Mm -hmm. that the the health system is not coping. And if this plan had been designed by health professionals with health advice, Mm -hmm. it would not be saying, let's open up in a week or two's time. It would say, let us give time for the health system to stabilise, to make sure we've got enough intensive care unit beds and Mm -hmm. so on. So what It has always been the case that government decisions about the pandemic have been a trade-off. They've been about the benefits of being in lockdown, the health benefits of being in lockdown, which are about trying to slow the virus. Mm -hmm. But those very health benefits about being in lockdown come at a health cost, mental health, domestic violence, alcohol and drugs. So even within health, you're trading off these things. Mm -hmm. And then you've got the impact on Uh, the immediate the short term impact on business of lockdowns and so there's always been these trade-offs that governments had to think about but and so then you're saying well if we're going to prioritize opening up so-called freedoms then someone's freedom might mean that the intensive care unit beds are overwhelmed Mm -hmm. and they, have, they, have, they die or they can't get into an intensive care unit bed or whatever. And so, yes, these freedom, these trade-offs are important. But my view is that going at 70% of the adult population, which is only 56% of the whole population, is a very risky strategy indeed. Mm-hmm. And you'd probably not find a single intensive care unit position in the country, let alone New South Wales, who thinks this is a good idea. So, you know, last year, Victoria had lockdowns for a long time. But even during those lockdowns, we had ICU capacity that that people in need could get into an intensive care unit bed. In contrast, right now in New South Wales, they are really, really tight on ICU beds, emergency departments overwhelmed and so on. So it is, you know, much, much worse than it was last year. And as I said, I don't think you'd find a single ICU position in the country who thinks what's happening is is a good idea.
1: Has there been some sort of um, modelling or at least talking amongst the experts in AusSage about what can really happen just a few weeks into lifting off all the restrictions? Uh, Stephen, what I mean is that the lockdown fatigue has really truly set in. And once you give the green light to start going out, I can imagine people will be really really (laughs) doing all sorts of risky things.
2: So, David, uh, I was talking to a friend a half an hour ago about lockdown fatigue. Tomorrow I would have been on a plane to Broome for a holiday, but I can't do that. uh, All of us in New South Wales, in Sydney and Victoria, know very well about about the pain of lockdown. However, we also know about the benefits of lockdown. So the modelling has been done. And what we know about this virus is it transmits very easily, very rapidly, and it can be very serious. Even the, you know, the, it, it, with vaccinations, you're, you're in a good shape, but without vaccinations, uh, uh, you're, you're in a really bad shape. And the modeling suggests on a 70% opening up that the uh, New South Wales will not have enough intensive care unit beds uh, in December. And, and what we've got to remember here is that when we're talking about 70% of the population, about 56% of the whole population, 70% of the adult population, mm-hmm. about half, roughly speaking, about half of the people who are not vaccinated are kids, uh, people under 16 or 12, depending on uh, when you're doing these numbers, and about half... Are people who haven't been vaccinated for whatever reason and and the whatever reason is right today today when we're doing this interview the, there's not enough vaccines the 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 demand for vaccines still exceeds the supply we will not have fixed the supply problem for another couple of weeks and even then let's say we fix the supply problem on the first of october well then you have to wait between the first dose and the second dose and and then you 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 don't get full immunity the minute you've had your second dose it takes a couple of weeks to to develop and so we we're, we're going to be exposing people who haven't been vaccinated for no fault of their own to um, uh, exposure to the to the virus and uh, it's uh, you know I just think that's an unethical position to be in
1: now Of course, we keep hearing that there are more and more vaccines coming in, but clearly it's just not going to be enough for all of us, right?
2: On the 1st of October, there won't be enough for all of us. Uh, There's sometime in October, we will have plenty of vaccines so that the vaccine supply will not be the problem sometime in October. What the problem will be is another problem that we've seen all along is the logistics. Mm -hmm. How do you make sure... the vaccines get to every country town for example uh, and every uh, part of Sydney for example and that's not been a strong point uh, of this vaccine rollout unfortunately
1: now you did make special mention about the at-risk communities including our indigenous uh, populations what's that going to mean for them so What we've seen,
2: if I just use the England number or the UK number, the England numbers for a minute. So uh, in the first six months of this year, they had about 50,000 deaths in England. 1% of those deaths were people who'd been fully vaccinated and fully vaccinated, yeah, fully vaccinated. So if you're not vaccinated, you are at significant risk. And so you've got communities Indigenous First Nations communities with very low rates of vaccination and if you've got people traveling all over the state they're going to bring coronavirus with them and expose those communities uh, who should have been in Group 1A but the the so-called priority groups were thrown out more or less on the first day the vaccination rollout started so and, and the Institute of Health and Welfare has just published a report which shows that the communities like First Nations communities are the ones that have been most exposed and 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 have had the highest infection rate and highest death rate. And uh, there's this social gradient we're seeing. And, it's, and in, in a sense, it's not a surprise. It's a disappointment, but not a surprise because the people who are moving around are essential workers. Mm-hmm. And they are very often the construction workers, the tradies, the the people who are in frontline coffee, selling coffee and hospitality and all those sorts of things. They're the only shops that are open. And so they're the ones, that every, every, the upper class people like me are sitting at home in my home office. And so I don't get exposed. So the disease, the COVID is becoming a disease of frontline workers, their families and their communities.
1: I just wonder whether we should be getting a message out to to those who would love to go traveling once we lift the restrictions to, to be more mindful of the at-risk populations, including our First Nations brethren. Absolutely, David. And, and you know, and it, it should not only be an obligation on us
2: not to take the virus with us. As I said, I was planning to go to Broome tomorrow. Uh, And it's absolutely right for the Western Australian government to say, no, we don't want anybody from a plague-ridden state to be hopping on a plane flying to Broome. But it's not only our obligation, but it's about government also should be protecting those populations and saying, I'm sorry, uh, this is an area with a low vaccination rate, even though the state has got 70% or 80% or whatever, these parts don't. And we're closing those to to travellers coming in.
0: The next 90 seconds contains an important public health announcement. Hi, my name's Christine McCartney. I'm the director of the Australian National Centre for Immunisation Research and Surveillance. So this is just a reminder to vaccinate all of our uh, patients this year for influenza. We've had a challenge rolling out both the COVID-19 vaccines and influenza vaccines, and I know that's particularly felt in primary care. But we are down on numbers vaccinated for flu this year compared with some of the excellent uh, rollout that's occurred in 2020 and even in 2019. Last year 2020 we had almost no flu season and there's not much flu activity this year. It's never possible though to predict when and if a big flu season will come. People are quarantining, but we've seen COVID-19 break through quarantine and we could easily see that with influenza. In addition, we'd like to start to open up and have more travellers coming in and out of Australia, particularly as the population gets vaccinated against COVID-19. With that will come flu. So we are on the cusp at some time in the near future in having another whopper of a flu season. And that's the reason to be sure to, to be offering flu vaccine, particularly to the most vulnerable people in respect of you know, serious outcomes for influenza.
1: Now, I'm gonna to move to a different point, Stephen. I read in the article that uh, Oz Sage strongly advocates for Australia to achieve COVID-19 elimination similar to polio or measles in which there is no sustained community transmission and outbreaks are rare. How realistic is this goal? So, David, it, it raises two questions. It, it, it raises the question about
2: Fortress Australia, Ireland Australia. Mm-hmm. And if we get very, very high vaccination rates, so up in the 90s, Mm-hmm. It will be very hard for the Delta variant, to, to even the Delta variant, to transmit because there just won't be enough people to be infected. I mean, even though a vaccinated person can be infected, they've only got two-thirds, I think, the chance of being infected as, a, as an unvaccinated person. So it's, it, it becomes much harder for it to transmit, and so it will naturally die out uh, with reasonable low-level public health protections. Right. But we also need to think about the rest of the world and not only countries like England, which has got very high levels of um, vaccination, but countries like Thailand, you know, the the low and middle income countries who uh, haven't got enough vaccines either. So it is in our interest to make sure the whole world is vaccinated uh, so that it gives the virus less chance to mutate uh, because that's what happens with viruses. And and with, with the virus mutating, th- there'll be another dominant variant. What we don't know is whether the dominant variant will be nastier than Delta or not. Mm-hmm. So it's in our interest to make sure everyone in the world is vaccinated. Now, that's a huge aspiration, but it is, you know, we've got to be careful and We've got to be trying to stop mutations by making it harder for the virus to spread. And we've got to be always cautious about people coming into the country and making sure that
1: as far as possible, they're vaccinated before they arrive. Well, Stephen, I'm sorry. I I mean, this is a really important point you're making, but the discussions I seem to be hearing is all about the rich countries giving boosters and somehow vaccine equity is not really spoken much about these days. It is really sad, David, because in other
2: circumstances, we've been really generous with our health support to other countries. The World Health Organization has brokered a lot of Australian expertise and a lot of interest in actually reducing malaria and dengue fever and all these sorts of things so that we don't get these uh, diseases in Australia. And yet, for some reason, we haven't started talking about other people and other countries, and we've just been Mindlessly obsessed with ourselves uh all through this uh,
1: pandemic. Uh, if you don't mind my saying, Stephen, I just seem to feel that somehow COVID nineteen has made nations and many individuals look inwards rather than outwards. Uh, it has been a very interesting phenomenon.
2: Yes, David, I I think you know I I was one of those who support the border closures, and it but it did make us. We are an island, but it made us. Totally insular socially. And, you know, we were so desperate for vaccines ourselves that we didn't think about what our obligations were to our neighbours and that the fact that helping our neighbour helps ourselves helps ourselves. And I think this is a, a sadness that we should be reflecting on.
1: Does Osage have some sort of an idea where we might be in six months? when we open up, when only 56% of the population has been vaccinated? What will we look like?
2: So six months, David, is a long time to look forward. Mm-hmm. But in March of 2022, we should be having a 80 or 90% of the Australian population vaccinated. By then, we might even have a vaccine for kids under 12, for example. Mm-hmm. And so we should be looking forward. It, you know, sometimes the public debate is phrased, oh, look, if, you know, if you're not going to open at 70%, when are you going to open at? Mm -hmm. Well, yes, we should be talking about opening up, but we should be talking about opening up at a safe level Mm -hmm. and opening up in a way which uh, means we don't have to worry about lockdowns in the future, which means very high levels of the population vaccinated.
1: I get it. So really what you're saying is, listen, there's a lot of children out there, there's no vaccines for them at the moment. And if we just hang in there by March, you're thinking that we will have enough Australians and children vaccinated for us to open up safely without putting our hospitals at risk. That's right,
2: and possibly even before that, because you know I don't think we have to, just to wait right until March. I think it is possible, but you've got to be much, much more cautious than the New South Wales government strategy is. So under the New South Wales government strategy, you can have um, events with 5,000 people. Well, you know, that's a guarantee to be a a super spreader event. And so I think we've just got to be way more cautious and recognize that lockdown is hard. Recognize that people want to be out of lockdown, but just say, you also don't want to be in a situation where there are not enough intensive care unit beds. So it is a question of one person's freedom might be another person's hospitalisation.
1: Well, Stephen, just coming to the end, let's just say that um, I'm at work seeing patients and it is a good time for me now to talk about what life will be like after the lockdown is lifted. What sorts of things should I be making my patients aware of so that they can be safe and remain safe? Another way of looking at
2: it is, what will things be different walking around the street? Mm-hmm. One of them will be we might be wearing masks on public transport for another couple of years, mm-hmm. a low-level protection of us all. Another thing might be we might be needing boosters. I, You know, I think the, the evidence is a bit unclear, but I suspect that we will need a booster in 2022. Mm-hmm. So you don't say, look, you had your vaccination in 2021, you're safe forever, but... Mm-hmm keep an eye out. Are you one of the groups that we should have early boosters? Or uh, are you going to be uh, having a booster, just like you have a flu vaccine that part of the job of the of the GP will be to say, now's your time for your flu vaccine," or now's your time for your for your COVID booster. And so there will be thinking about these issues way into the future, hopefully, we'll be in a living with COVID world world, where we all live that is the death rate is very 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 low Mm -hmm. uh, and we we achieve that by very high levels of vaccinations and also being a bit cautious as I said wearing masks indoors and making sure that um, schools are ventilated and other you know other locations are properly ventilated to reduce the spread and so on so all of those public health measures which are not really intrusive Mm-hmm. But help us and protect us, so that uh, w- we are able
1: to enjoy life again. Stephen, if GPS wanted to know more about uh, Oz Sage, uh, how do we find out? So Oz Sage
2: is O Z S A G E, and you can search Oz Sage, and you'll find the website. Uh, and uh, the Oz is putting up a number of discussion papers about things like mask wearing and ventilation and engaging with communities about increasing vaccination rates and so on so there are a number of papers up there they've all been developed with input from a range of scientists Mm -hmm. uh, and I think uh, they're they're easy to read and uh, I think very informative so uh, that's
1: where people can find it can we print them out for patients or are they just for doctors
2: well, no, they're, they're, you, you can print them out for patients. So, for example, there's a very interesting one on masks uh, under development at the moment, which mm-hmm. says, look, you've got to be careful about what sort of mask you wear um, and make sure that, you know, it, it's actually suitable. And if if your mask isn't suitable, you might need to double mask, for example, or or how can you make your mask more suitable mm-hmm. so it actually does protect you and protects other people? So, and and it's got... Diagrams in it. So, yes, it's the sort of thing you can print out for patients. And uh, those of them, you know, we've all become obsessively interested in COVID and the coronavirus over the last couple of years. And uh, so I think patients would be interested in some of these.
1: I am so grateful that this group has got together and have decided to just put in one place the resources that health professionals and patients will need in our, if you like, our ability to live with COVID. Yep, and it's part of
2: all of our jobs to make it easier for everybody else as well.
1: You have given us not just important messages, but also a very important resource.
2: Yeah, and, uh, and I'm glad to do what I can to help.
1: Thank you very much, and have a good afternoon, Stephen. Pleasure. Okay, Bye. thanks very much. Bye-bye.